Uh, well, it's always interesting when the, the weather is inclement. It's always on Sundays. I never noticed this until I got involved in church ministry. But there are snow demons out there, people. They control the weather, and the worst storms always come on Saturday night and Sunday mornings. I never noticed this. But even thinking back now, one of my early memories of going to church, and I grew up in a family where you went to church every Sunday. If you were alive, you were in church, and if you were dead, then they'd bring you to church and pray for you to be raised from the dead. One of those kind of families. And so I remember it was kind of a morning like this where it was getting pretty slick out. It had been raining. Now it turned to freezing. And I'm like, Dad, this isn't a good idea. He's like, we're going to church because he was a pastor's kid, so he was in church. And we were running late because there were three of us kids, and we were young, and we made everything later than what my parents always planned on. And so we're driving. It was an old Horizon. You guys remember those cars? It was a very light, economical kind of a car, no weight to it. And we're driving down these roads, and we're going faster than we should because we're late, and we got to get there on time. And there's a hill that goes up and curves to the left. And as we're approaching this, my dad turns the wheel to the left. And oh, he's probably listening to this too. Sorry, Dad. But he turns, someone turned to the left, and we just started doing 360s. And my mom's like, oh, and my sisters are freaking out. And I'm just sitting there. I didn't know what to do. I'm just taking this all in. We do a couple 360s, straighten out, and just keep on driving. My dad never reacts. He's just like a boss, you know, one hand on the wheel, like, and we got to church. And so I was like, once I saw that, I was like, I guess we're always going to be in church because my dad's willing to do that. So <laughs> thank you. You guys are the Navy SEALs of the churchgoers because yeah. you braved the elements today. And I really believe that God's going to do something great today because today we're beginning our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So if you're new here, you're thinking, I braved the weather and you're going to talk about prayer and fasting? Like, what did I get myself into? But today we're beginning this, and the reason why we pray and fast, and we're starting out the year 2016 in a season of prayer and fasting, is because there are things that we need to see God do in our lives. There are things that I need to see God do inside of my family. There are things we need God to do in Radiant Church and in our city and our nation in this world. And we recognize that it's not by our might or by our power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord that these things are going to happen. So we commit these 21 days of prayer and fasting as a way of seeking after God. And the reason we pray, uh, once again, kind of a recap of last week is, we don't pray because once we pray enough, then we've really convinced God that he should do this. We pray because it's a way that we connect to God. And when we connect to God, we begin to encounter his, uh, who he is, what he's like, and it causes faith to rise up inside of us. And as our faith grows in our prayers, that unlocks things for us. And the reason why we fast isn't because we're trying to punish ourselves and say, God, look how serious I am. I'm giving up you know, meat or whatever just to show you, I'm, Lord, I'm willing to suffer so that you will do this. That's not why we fast. The reason why we fast is because we're trying to disconnect ourselves from the things of this world so we can be more closely connected to God. And that's, I mean, for me, as I'm going into the season of fasting, uh, last night I was preparing for it by eating ice cream <laughs> until midnight because <laughs> I was like trying to get it all in before it starts. But when we can learn to submit the physical desires that we have, what we do is we weaken the hold of the physical desires on our life and we strengthen the control of the spirit in our life. And when you're able to resist things like food, 
which is a natural desire you have, then you're going to be able to say, I can resist now greed, I can resist lust, I can resist hatred or the other temptations that appeal to the appetites of your flesh. It strengthens us to be able to break those chains over us in those areas. So I'd encourage you, uh, grab one of those prayer cards, and on the front of it, it tells you the different things that we're praying for as a church. On the back side, there's a place for you to put in what you're praying for as a group. Um, and I encourage you, get signed up for one of the Seek prayer groups. It's going to be incredible. And then also there's a place to put in the things that you're praying for specifically. And every day, pray and pray and seek after God. And then also there's a fasting guide out there at the Seek table. If you want to pick and know more about the different types of fasts there are, go out there, grab one of those, decide what kind of fast you're going to do. And if you break your fast, don't quit it. Don't feel condemned about that. Just get back up and Amen. keep going on it. Because I have, I have broken fasts before. And uh, I might again in the future at some point. <laughs> I mean, totally transparent with you. But don't quit. If you eat that steak, say, Lord, forgive me, but I'm going to come back after you. And uh, yeah, just stick to it. You will be amazed at what happens when you commit to seeking after God through prayer and fasting. And so today, we're going to talk about uh, how do we pray? Because for me, even though I grew up in a church my entire life, it was a long time actually into my adult life before I really figured out what prayer is and how it was that I was supposed to pray. See, for me, growing up in church, the first that I knew about prayer was after, I think it was like they'd sing three or four hymns and there'd be an offering and then the pastor would say, what are the prayer requests? And people would raise their hand and they'd say the prayer request and he'd write it down. And then after all the prayer requests were done, uh, he'd get up there and he'd pray and he'd be like, oh, magnificent creator. And then he would do the praying for everybody else and I'd be coloring my little kid sheets. And I remember thinking, uh, I knew that God was my father and that was the relationship that I had with him. So I thought it was funny that it became so impersonal when we began to pray like, oh, magnificent creator. And yeah, he is a creator, but my parents are my creator as well, but I never refer to them as that because there's a relationship that I have. They might have liked for me to refer to them as that every now and then. But I had a personal relationship with my parents, so I called them mom, I called them dad, I called them daddy. And there was a closeness, an affection. There was a personal relationship there that shaped the way that I communicated to my parents. And so it needs to shape the way that we communicate with our Heavenly Father as well. And then we got into Sunday school, and they started asking us for prayer requests there. And so what everybody would do is say, uh, unspoken prayer request. Because you never wanted to tell people what was actually going on in your life because you didn't want to seem like a jerk or a pervert or whatever else. So you're just like unspoken prayer requests. And so you have 12 kids all with unspoken prayer requests. And then the leader would pray for all of you. And then we got up into, um, I think it was junior high, where we started having youth group. And here they did what they called popcorn prayer. You guys remember popcorn prayer? where the leader would start it, and then you were all supposed to add in one sentence to the prayer. Everybody just give one sentence. But nobody ever did that. So then they moved to what they called circle prayer. And circle prayer was, once again, you're all holding hands in the circle, and the leader would begin the prayer time, and then they'd squeeze a hand to the person next to them, and then they were supposed to pray. And when they were done, you squeeze the hand next to them. And so you're sitting there, and you're nervous. You try to get as far away from the leader as you can. You're hoping someone's going to take up all the time, or maybe the Lord will return, and you won't have to pray in front of everybody. And I remember sitting there, like, your hands are getting sweaty, and you're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And you see, and then you feel your hand squeeze, and as soon as mine got squeezed, I was squeezing the person next to me. It was like a prayer circuit. It just kept traveling around and around the hands. It was amazing how fast that would go. And then I remember even getting older, 
and it started going into, uh, you know, trying to think, uh, okay, I want to pray, so I got to think of something to say, because I don't want to just blurt something stupid out, because I've been prone to do that throughout my life. So, so you know how it is when you're going to say something, you're trying to run through it in your head because you want to make it sound right. But I was scared that I was going to say something stupid, like try to say, oh God, we're so grateful for you. Thank you for all you're doing in your life. But I was afraid that would come out as like, praise the devil or something like that. And everybody was like, what a heretic. Let's get rid of this guy. But really what it came down to was, you know, I was scared. I remember another time we were praying and someone prayed, God, we just asked that you would be with us. And after the prayer, someone corrected them they said, you know, God's always with us. His presence is always here, so why would you pray for that? I was like, oh my gosh. Like, now you have the theology and doctrine police that are monitoring everything that someone prays. And so like, that's really encouraging. You're trying to take a step of faith and grow in prayer, and people are coming down on you about it. So really, the reason that I didn't want to pray publicly was because I didn't know how to do it. And I was afraid that if I opened my mouth and actually prayed in a corporate setting, that everybody would see that I didn't know how to pray. And as Shakespeare said, sometimes it's better to be thought a fool and stay quiet about it than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to sit here. They can think I'm super spiritual. I know how to pray and all of that stuff. But here's the problem. And this is something we see in a lot of people because we do look at others and some people when they pray, it's just flowing and it's King James English. And sometimes people have accents and that makes them sound even cooler when they pray. And you think about yourself and the way that you pray, and it seems so just not as good somehow. So you don't pray. But what happens is when the church doesn't pray, the church doesn't do anything. Because more important than sermons, more important than curriculums, ministries, anything else that we do to fulfill the mission that God has given us as the church is prayer. Church is the engine. I'm sorry, prayer is the church. Oh, I can't talk at all. See, I've gotten over my fear of saying stupid things in front of people. I don't care anymore. Prayer is the engine of the church. And that goes back to something Charles Spurgeon said. He was one of the greatest preachers of his generation. Uh, after he would preach on Mondays, they would have the translations in 14 different languages and newspapers all over the world because what was going on at his church was just so absolutely incredible. And he would bring people in all the time because people want to see why is this church so successful? What is going on here that we need to be doing at our church so we can reach people like Spurgeon is? And he would always take them down to the basement of the church. He wouldn't show them the choir. He wouldn't show them the incredible building, all the programs that were going on. He would take them down to the basement of the church. He would open a door and he would show them the people on their knees that were crying out to God praying for him to do something in their church and in their city, praying for salvation, for freedom, for healing, praying for anointing and all the leaders of the church. And he told them that this is the powerhouse of the church. This is why this church is doing so many incredible things. It's because our people have learned that we need to seek after God. We need to ask him to come and to do the things that only he can do. And when we do that, God takes us up on it. And he moves miraculously, and he does the things that only he can do. Now, the disciples who spent three years with Jesus, they saw him do all of these incredible, miraculous things. And when they wanted to know what the key was, when they came to him asking him one question, they didn't say, Jesus, how is it that you heal people? Jesus, how is it that you can walk on water? That would be the one I would really be curious in myself. Like, God, how do, how do I get to walk on water too? What they came and they asked him was, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because they recognized that what was fueling his supernatural ministry on the face of this earth was prayer. Yeah. 
Jesus, who is God, is getting alone by himself. It says that he's often withdrawing to lonely places. He's praying all night sometimes. And then he comes back, and after he prays, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says that the Spirit's on him to do these miraculous things. There was a connection between the prayer life of Jesus and the ministry that he did. So if we want to pray like Jesus, if we want to be able to have the kind of ministry like Jesus had, if we want to continue his ministry, because that's really what he told the churches to do, is to go and to continue to do the things that I have done. That's what we've been called to do as a church. That's how we make disciples. But he says if we want to do these things, we have to pray. And if we want to be a church that is used mightily by God, we have to be a church that is mightily committed to seeking God to seeking his presence and his power all through prayer. And if we want to know how to pray, we need to look at what it is that the Bible teaches us about prayer. So in Acts chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to look at that. And a little bit of background on this is there was a lame man, and he was begging for gold. And they're like, hey, we don't have money, but what we have is the name of Jesus, and we're going to pray for you. And they prayed for him, and he was instantly healed. And people are going nuts because it's a 40-year-old guy. They've seen him their whole life. And they see him now getting up, and he's dancing around, and he's happy because Jesus just healed him. And they use that as an opportunity to, to preach Jesus to the people around them. Well, this really upsets the Pharisees and Sadducees because they just killed Jesus thinking we got rid of this guy that was causing all of our problems, and now people are still talking about him. So they arrest the disciples, and they bring them in, and they question them, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And they're like, hey, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's been raised from the dead, and it's by his power, it's in response to our prayers, that this man has been healed. And they don't believe him, but they say this. They recognize that they were common, uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. Now that word for uneducated is the word we get idiot from. It's not as nice as we think of saying they're uneducated. What it means is these people were common idiots, but something was happening. They could recognize that they had been with Jesus. And so they say, you know what? We don't know what to do because of this, but go out there and don't you dare teach about Jesus anymore. And their response is, you know what? We can only talk about the things that we have seen. And so this is what happens. They get released. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage? And why do peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they're quoting from Psalms right there. For truly this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. They get threatened. They tell them, stop preaching about Jesus or else. And their response is, we're going to go and we're going to pray and ask God to move and to do something new and to embolden us and to empower us to preach his name even more effectively and lead even more people to Jesus. And the place is shaken and it says that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a good prayer meeting. 
That's the kind of prayer meeting that I want. How awesome would it be if we came together and we're just seeking after God for the people of our city, saying, God, would you stand against any enemy? And Lord, would you make it so that people's ears are open, their eyes can see that you are the only God, that you love them, that through Jesus you made a way for their salvation and for freedom for them? God, would you continue to build the people here? Daily would you add to the number of those who are being saved and made a part of your family? And when we prayed that, it was so powerful that the room shook and we were all filled fresh and new with the Holy Spirit, empowering us to go out there and to do that. And this is what happened. They went out there and they led more and more people to Jesus. And it was all in response to their prayers. And this kind of prayer wasn't just for them and there. That kind of prayer is for here and for now. This is the kind of way that we should be praying now. And if we want to pray these kinds of prayers, and really this is, uh, we see this all through the New Testament, there's sort of a pattern that they follow in their prayers. So if we want to have New Testament prayers like they have, the first thing we have to do is it has to be united. When we look at the, the first way that it starts out is it says they lifted their voices together to God. It wasn't one person praying. It wasn't like it was for me where there was, you know, the pastor was praying and the rest of us were spectators to what was going on. Uh, and you know, if, and now, now times would be people are playing Fruit Ninja on their phones while the pastor is praying. Uh, that's not the way that prayer was supposed to be. It says that it's plural, that we're all involved in praying. And this is something that in the Western world we have to grow a lot in because it goes against the, the nature of the culture that we live in. And we're very stoic. That's not the way that we operate. But if we want to match up with the way that we see the New Testament church praying and operating, we need to become those who gather together and that we pray together. So what that means is, like when I come up here and I'm praying after the, the worship set or at the end of the service, when I'm praying, I'm saying, God, you are so great and you're so powerful. You just say, yeah, God, you are. You are good. You are powerful. When I'm praying for you know, God's presence, it means you guys are saying, yeah, God, we want more of you. You said if we seek you that we would find you. God, we want your presence. It's just coming into agreement with what it is that is being prayed out by whoever is leading the prayer. Instead of spectating and just listening to them and exporting or outsourcing your prayer to them, you're going to be a participant in it. And this is the way that all of the exploding, growing churches around the world are. Dr. Cho, who has the largest church in the world in South Korea, he planted that church, started with absolutely nothing, and the whole foundation of that church has been prayer. When he started that church, less than 1% of the population of South Korea was Christian. And now it's about 50%. When he started that church, it was him and it was his wife. And that was it. They had no money, no funding, no people. They set up a tent that they met in. But they learned to pray. And they taught their people to pray. And because of that, a nation has been changed. They send missionaries out all over the world. They're actually the number two mission-sending nation in the world now. And they send tons of funds and resources and they're, what they're doing in the church across the world is just an incredible blessing. And it all goes back to the place of prayer for them. And when they pray, it's crazy. I like watching YouTube videos of them every now and then because I don't understand what they're saying anyways because I don't speak Korean. But I'll look at their, they have a prayer chapel that seats 10,000 people. And so they get together and they will have all night prayer meetings. On their Friday night, they have one that goes all night. And they work Saturdays too in their culture. So you go there, you pray the entire night, you don't go to sleep, and then you go to work in the morning. They're that committed to seeking God through prayer that they're giving up sleep to do that. 
And when they pray, it's incredible because there'll be one person up on the front on the stage and they will say, you know, like, we're going to all pray for this now. And then all of them start praying, all 10,000. It's just thunderous because it's not just one person praying. Everybody's praying, saying, God, yes, we need you to do this. God, we're seeking you for our city, for our families. God, bring your salvation, your freedom, your restoration. And then there will be a, a bell. They ding the bell and everybody stops. Okay, what are we going to pray for now? And they say, and then they all start praying. They all have their hands raised to heaven and they're praying. And then they ring the bell and they hear what they're going to pray for next. And it just keeps going on like that. And it might seem weird and odd to us, but look what's happened as a result of an entire church learning to pray and to seek after God. They have an entire, they bought a mountain. And in this mountain, they dug little bunkers into it and they're little prayer bunkers. And they have people that are so committed to prayer that you can send them through mail or online a prayer request and they will take that prayer request and they will go into one of these bunkers and prayer mountain and they will lock themselves in there and they will pray and they will fast until they feel released from that prayer like God has answered that prayer. Sometimes it's 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes people stay in there for weeks praying for people that they've never met, never will know, but they believe that God answers prayers largest church in the world. We look at that brother Abraham. I love seeing videos of him and his churches. Uh, the pastor's conference they do every November. I love seeing um, some of the pastors that go there will send me little video clips of it. And you'll see a thousand people in this tent and they're all just arms stretched up to heaven and they're just praying and they're seeking after God and there's power and there's energy inside of that. And because of that, brother Abraham has been able to plant 4,000 churches in his lifetime now. Started all these orphanages and ministries. I mean, it's absolutely incredible the way that God has used them. And every time I ask him, Brother Abraham, how is it that you're able to do those things? It's always, Jeremy, I pray and I fast. That's his plan. That's how he gets all of the funding. That's how he gets all of the people, trains up. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's such a simple thing is that he's taught his people to pray and to fast and to seek after God. And you compare that to the Western church and the way that we so many times pray with just one person and we're all doing whatever. Is there a wonder why there's such a difference between the global church and the Western church and what's happening? The Western church continues to struggle, continues to die and have less and less influence. We aren't reaching the people like we used to be able to. We don't have a passion and a fire inside of our hearts like the church used to. And we don't pray. And that's the connection. We have to be united. Now that doesn't mean that you don't pray on your own. You absolutely should have a private prayer life. That's a part of your everyday relational connection to God. But we need to make sure, too, that corporately we're coming together and we're praying. Because Jesus said, where two or three of you gather together in my name, you will have what you ask for. Corporate prayer is vital to the Christian life. It's vital to the life of the church. It's vital to the community groups that we have. We were made to come around each other in the place of prayer and to seek God together. And there are certain things that we will only see God answer in response to corporate prayer as we come together and seek him. So, number one, it's united. And then number two, it's scriptural. They quoted Psalms in there. They said, God, this is a situation that we found ourselves in, and this is what you said in scripture that you would do in that situation. Yeah. Uh, for us, how is it that we know how to pray according to God's will? Because God says when we pray according to his will, we will have the things that we ask for. The best way to pray according to God's will is to open up scripture and see what God's will is, because he's revealed it to us in the Bible. And that's why on the prayer cards that you guys have, uh, I mean, I have uh, scripture that I'm praying for every one of these things. So for example, number two, that's plus one. And the idea behind that is, God, we want to see this place so full, every seat filled up, 
and, and we want to see one new person come in, and one of us has to get up and give our seat to them because there are no seats left. And they say, well, how do we know that's God's will? How do we pray according to God's will for that? Well, here's how. Because Jesus said that my will is that none should perish, but all should be saved. We have hundreds of thousands of people in our county that don't follow Jesus, that don't know the life that he gives. They don't have the forgiveness of their sins, the freedom from sin. So that means that this church needs to grow a lot. It means that we need to have a lot more people here because eternity is in the balance, because Jesus is passionate about people and he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants us all to have eternal life. So we pray according to God's will. God, you want all people to come to know you. Lord, we've created a place for people to come and to know you and to grow and be disciples. Lord, we pray that it would be filled to overflowing. And whatever it is that you're praying for, uh, I encourage you, go through scripture. Find the scriptures that uh, really reveal what God's will is. So when you're praying for something, you say, this isn't just me hoping or wishing, but I know because God has revealed in scripture, this is what he wants to do. Now I can pray according to his revealed will. And then number three, uh, the prayers were powerful. They were powerful prayers. James uh, chapter 5, verse 16 says this, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Uh, some of your Bibles translate that word uh, earnest as fervent, the fervent prayers of the righteous. And what this word means in the Greek is uh, white, hot, and boiling over. So we, if you want to put it, it means the white, hot, boiling over prayers of the righteous are powerful and produce wonderful results. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just trying to yell and scream and jump around, that you're trying to produce something. It means it's the natural outflow of what's going on inside of you. It means that there is something that's inside of you where you are filled with faith, you're filled with expectation and passion about what you're praying for, that it causes there to be a white, hot overflow inside of your life. Uh, if you ask my son, Eason, about Barbie dolls, hey, can you tell me about Barbie dolls? He'll be like, like he doesn't care. He's not going to be excited telling you about Barbie dolls or the different accessories for them because he's not into that. But if you ask him about John Deere tractors, the kid comes alive. He talks fast, he talks loud, he gets higher pitched, he starts moving a little bit because he's excited, and he'll talk forever about it. He'll tell you about all the attachments for them, what the different types of tractors do and the different farm fields, I mean, because he's into this. And this is what it means, is that we're so passionate about the things that we're praying for that it comes out as a passionate, white, hot, boiling over prayer inside of us. And that's why you'll see people, when they're passionate about what they're praying for, there is an energy, there's a power that's inside of that. You'll see people, and you know, sometimes people are rocking or moving, people have their arms outstretched to heaven because they're so passionate about what they're praying for. They'll talk fast or whatever might happen, and it doesn't become a beautiful, flowy, well-scripted prayer anymore. It's just honest, it's gut-wrenching, it's raw, it's what God is doing inside of them, and they're just seeking after the king of all kings to come and to move in that situation. And that's the kind of prayers that we see in the New Testament. And those are the kind of prayers that we need to be praying. Uh, we need to really let God burden us for the things that are going on in this world. I remember before we were uh, starting Radiant Church and we were just gathering at my house and we were praying, uh, we started out not being real strong in this area. It was kind of like the, you know, the circle prayers where you're just like two people. One person start and one person ends and nobody in between. 
But we began to grow in this. And there were people, we'd be weeping because we'd be crying out to God, like, God, save our city. Bring your salvation, Jesus. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you lifted up. We don't want anybody to perish. And we'd be weeping and crying out because it was such a burden on our hearts. We've got to be passionate about the things that we're praying for. Eternity is in the balance. My family is in the balance. Your family, your friends, your workplace, people's eternal destinies are in the balance. And we need to see God come and do the things that only he can do. And then the fourth thing is that it was a lifestyle for them. Prayer wasn't just an event. It was a lifestyle. And in John 15, 4 through 5, Jesus says this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. What Jesus is talking about is that there has to be this intimate connection with him. Prayer isn't meant to be something that happens you know, for five, ten minutes during the day or even 30 minutes. It's supposed to be something that is a continual, connected part of our life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says this, Pray without ceasing. I remember the first time I read that, and I thought, how on earth is that even possible? Like, Jesus, i got to get a job someday. <laughs> like, I can't just sit here on my knees all day praying. I have to do things. But that's not what it means. It is important that we do set uh, time aside each day to talk to God and to pray, but it can't just be during that time. We have to have a lifestyle of prayer where we're continually talking to him. Now imagine this. If I just had a half hour every day that I said, all right, Anna, that's my wife, this is the time that we can talk today, and after that, no more. Like, that's it. We would not be connected. We do schedule out time to talk and to, uh, we're reading through the Bible in a year, and so we have a time scheduled out every night where we're going to talk to each other and share what God's been speaking to us as we're reading the same uh, verses in our Bible. But if she comes up to me outside of that time, I don't say, hey, sorry, this isn't our scheduled talk time. Uh, you'll have to wait till tomorrow. Uh, that's not a connectedness. I'm a lifestyle talker, and so I have to be a lifestyle prayer. That means that all throughout the day, I'm continually aware of God's presence. I'm continually talking to him and bringing to him the things that are going on around me. Uh, when you hear about someone that's like, hey, you know, someone's a little sick, whatever, let me pray for you for healing. Or when someone's discouraged, oh, I know Jesus can bring encouragement to you. Or anything that you're going through the day, just continuing that conversation, keeping that connection going with him all day long, every day. And then uh, the way that we can cultivate this lifestyle of prayer is, number one, make it a priority. To do that for me, it means I have to do it the first thing. When I wake up, before I eat, I pray. Because if I don't do that, there's a good chance that there's going to be other things that take over that space. And when I pray first thing of the day, it sets the tone. It establishes that connection for me. And if we don't make it a priority, what's going to happen is that prayer is never going to take place. And so for me, it's I have a scheduled time in the morning. That's the first thing that I do. It establishes that connection with God and makes sure that it happens, and then it sets a tone for the whole rest of the day now to continue to live that lifestyle of prayer. And then number two is find a place to pray. For me, it's my basement. And when I want to have a private conversation with my wife, I don't just do it uh, in the middle of the living room with the kids running around and climbing over us and screaming. That's not going to be conducive to a private conversation. I go somewhere. We'll go to our bedroom or downstairs or whatever. For me, it's the same way. I go down to the basement. That's my prayer place. It's where the distractions are removed, and I can just meet with God. And then number three, have a plan. Um, that's why one of the reasons you have these prayer cards is because it helps to give you a plan 
for how to pray. These are the things that we're seeking after as a church. You can go into your prayer time and be like, God, would you do these things? And as you're going through the day and you see a building, it's like, hey, we need a building. Jesus, would you provide us with a building? And then on the back, there's the space for you to write your prayer points in. Keep that in your Bible on your desk so when you go into your prayer time, you have a plan of things that you're going to pray for. And next week, I'm going to teach on a way to pray that I think will really change your life, just a plan to go into it. We'll make it so you say, I only set 30 minutes aside. Man, I can't fit in all the praying I need to do in 30 minutes. We'll make it that easy for you to pray. And then number four is make it about the person. Again, prayer isn't an event it isn't something that you do. It's a connection that you form. We pray because we want to connect with God. We want to develop that relationship with Him. We want to know Him. We want to know who He is. We want to find His presence more fully inside of our lives. And that's one of the things that Jesus did on the cross is He removed our sins from us, brought us forgiveness, separated us from our sins, removed shame and condemnation, and he made us pure and spotless. It says that we have the righteousness of Christ now, which means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sins that you've committed in the past. He sees someone that's as pure and spotless and in right standing as Jesus himself is. And because of that new standing that you have through Jesus, you have access to the Father. Before you couldn't, come to God and have an intimate relationship and connection with him because your sins were weighing you down. They were a barrier that kept you from the presence of God. But on the cross, Jesus removed all of those things so that now you can approach the throne. You can come before your heavenly father and know that he hears you and you can hear him. Eternal life, Jesus defines as this. He says, it's knowing God the father and the Christ who he sent. Paul talks about in the New Testament all about knowing the fellowship of God, knowing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that's what prayer is about for us. It's developing that relationship, which was made possible for us because of Jesus. But too many times what happens is we have fear that comes in. We feel obstacles or roadblocks. We think we're not worthy to enter into the presence of God and have a relationship with him like that. That is something that's not even possible for us. But that's a lie from the enemy. The truth is, you have been saved, you've been set free. When you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, he forgives them completely. When you say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life and I'm going to follow after you, now you have complete right standing before the Father. You're pure, you're spotless, you can approach the throne. You can have that kind of a relationship with God. And it all starts and it continues and it ends with prayer. So would you guys stand with me this morning? We're going to take just a minute to pray. Let's put into practice some of these things. Um, I hope that you do this and you get signed up for your prayer groups and, and you pray this way with them. But even now, just let's, let's come together corporately and uh, on our prayer cards, let's just go through and let's pray for these things that God would move in these areas. Because you're pure, you're righteous. If you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you have access to the Father. And we come together and we agree on these things according to his will. We have the things that we ask for. So as I'm praying, just agree with me. Don't be a spectator, but actively engage in prayer. If it's new for you, don't worry, you can't do it wrong. 
<laughs> just pray and talk to your dad. So Father, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful for everything that you've done for us. You're wonderful. You're magnificent. Your love is like no other love and we've been the recipients of such lavish blessings that you have poured out upon us and it's caused our hearts to swell with love and affection for you. And God, we want to have an even greater love in our hearts for you. So we pray that you would move in our hearts, that you cause a stronger desire for you and for your presence to, to swell up inside of us. And God, we as a church, we come seeking your presence. Father, you said that you draw near to those who draw near to you. You said that where your spirit is, there is freedom. You said that you inhabit the praises of your people. So God, as we magnify your name, as we worship you, would you come? Would you meet with us? Father, as we draw near to you, would you draw near to us? Because God, where your spirit is, there truly is freedom. We encounter you. You change us. You set us free. You move amongst us. And we are changed. And our church has changed. And our city has changed. God, let this be a place where when people walk into it, they encounter your presence. And Lord, they're willing to turn their life over to you and to follow you because they know that you are good. They taste and they see you because of your presence. And Jesus, would it be your presence that ministers to all those who come inside of our doors? And Father, we pray for plus one because you said that you wish that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. God, we pray that you would use our invitations to people. God, that you would use things like signs and advertising and everything else, God, to draw people into this place where your presence is. Lord, that they would encounter you and be forever changed. But Jesus, we pray that in this city that you would bring thousands of people to the saving knowledge of Jesus and the work that he's done in their life. God, that they would take on the new identity that you have given them as sons and daughters. And Jesus said they would be discipled and built up to continue to do the work of the church and engage in the community and the mission of the church. Jesus, we pray for a building. God, we're so grateful for the theater, but we know that the things you've called us to do require even more. So God, we pray that you would provide us with a building, one that's at the perfect location, Lord, that has public transportation nearby. God, that has rooms for children's ministries, rooms for the Radiant Empowerment Center, God, a place where seven days a week we can be proclaiming and demonstrating your love to a people who are far from you now. Jesus, would you bring it to us at the right price, God, that we wouldn't be burdened financially, we continue to be able to support missions and what you're doing in our community. Jesus, we pray for provision. Lord, that you would give us all of the things that we need. You said that the earth and the fullness of it is all yours. God, you said that the thousand hills and the cattle on them are all yours. That provision is no problem for you. You are able to speak things into existence. So, Father, we pray for financial provision. God, we pray for the provision of volunteers and leaders to come alongside and to join in the work that you've called us to do. And God, we pray for all of the leaders of Radiant Church, God, that you would pour out your wisdom on them. You said that if any of us lacks wisdom, that we should ask you, and you would generously and freely give it to us. God, we pray for your divine-inspired plans for the things and the vision that you've called us to. Jesus, for every person that's teaching our children, for every person that's teaching anywhere, God, would there be an anointing on them? Would there be your wisdom? You said that through the Holy Spirit we have the mind of Christ. So we pray for every leader, Lord, that they would have your mind and what you've called them to do and that you would elevate them just as you did Joshua before his people. And God, we pray that you would cause more people to rise up into leadership positions, Lord, and to take on the mission and the work of the church so that we can expand the influence, Lord, and expand the things that you've called us to do in this city. 
Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified, that we would be known as a church that prays, because you said that your house would be a house of prayer and of worship. So God, bring us into conformity with your will. And Jesus, we pray for every Sikh uh, prayer group, God, that you would move mightily, God, that you would help us to grow in the area of prayer, to build our faith and our expectation. Jesus, that we would pray powerful prayers and grow in this area. And God, we pray that you would miraculously answer these prayers, that we would be able to give testimonies of the things that you're doing and the ways that you're moving. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us, that you have set us apart to be those who call on your name, to be those who are used as vessels for your work. Jesus, come and have your way amongst us. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us. Shake this place and empower us for all the things you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship. Let's continue to seek God together.